This is the Skin Science Podcast. I'm Dr. Thomas Hitchcock, and here we'll investigate everything skin science and dissect it from a scientific perspective, analyze it from a medical perspective, critique it from a consumer perspective, and give insight from an industry perspective. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Dr. Thomas Hitchcock, and with me in the studio, I have Angela McDonald. Hello, everyone. Wilson. Wilson McDonald. Wilson McDonald. Yeah, three names. <laughs> three names. I don't stop Angela just at Wilson two. I'm McDonald. an overachiever. You know that about me, Thomas. You know that about me. <laughs> All right. I need another name. Um, uh, and then we also have, again with us, Ndashe Kumungu. Yes, I'm getting better You're at this, people. You're getting so good at that. You know, you'd think Can't I... Can't get my name right, but you know, that's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> when I was in graduate school, I was in an all-Chinese lab. And I remember, for the life of me, it took me forever to start learning how to pronounce the Chinese names correctly and stuff. But after a while, I had it down, and I, you know, I was feeling real proud of myself. I'm sure if I tried now, they would just hang their heads in mm -hmm. shame of me, but... Anyway, we also have in the back uh, Jose Maldonado, Dr. Maldonado with us once again. And we have the producers, Seti and Alan. How are you guys doing back there? Great. How are you great. doing? All right. I'm doing pretty good, especially since I have another puzzle Yay. to share. And we so this today. one, yeah, this one's actually a lot simpler. So this one is actually, I think it's called Three Cubes, and this is by Cubic Dissection. It's a company that makes these types of wooden and metal puddle, puzzles. And this is actually a simple one, but it's actually one of, it's, very, it's one of my favorites because it's so simple, but it's fun. It's not super uh, difficult to do, but it's a good fiddle puzzle. And basically, this is when it's done. And so basically, there's magnets on each piece, and you have to now, in three parts, figure out the way to, uh, now I've already taken apart, so it's going to, oh, oh, no. Okay, there we go. So you basically have to find a way that the, some magnets repel, some magnets attract, and so you have to find a way to put it back to normal. And so I'm going to take it apart, and I'm going to put it here. And so during this, Angela's going to try oh boy, and, and fiddle with it. Oh, boy, here we go. Always anyway. testing me. But, uh, yeah, so again, last episode we talked about uh, kind of how different subtypes or uh, uh, subpopulations are affected by uh, inflammatory diseases. Last time we talked mainly about acne, and we had some really good discussion about um, how things like geography, um, just habits that are cultural, like scrubbing with stones or whatnot, uh, foods, diets, uh, uh, water sources, and how it affects the, the biome because of ecological changes. All that, we said, contributes to uh, inflammatory disease, but we also talked about the psychology and how uh, different uh, populations have psychological differences, even though they may have similar uh, demographics as far as who's affected within each particular ethnicity, we see that there's a little bit more psychological damage simply because of, uh, especially in the United States, where there's kind of this class system that it, we're trying to get rid of, but Separation. Yet, yes. yet, yet unfortunately still exists slightly. So um, we thought we would kind of continue that conversation, but take it to a different disease state um, that we could also discuss, which is going to have probably some similar uh, findings, which is atopic dermatitis. And so now this is an interesting one because there is a, already a lot to talk about here when it comes to what causes atopic dermatitis when, when it comes to genetics versus the microbiome versus uh, the person's, uh, you know, habits and such. And now I'd like to hear uh, what you have found, Ndashe, about uh, kind of um, statistical uh, subpopulations and who has more and who has less and 
So for me, this journey started when I found this paper that argued that there should be an Asian subdivision of atopic dermatitis and a European-American subdivision of atopic dermatitis and so on and so forth. Something they cited was there's a genetic predisposition to having to having atopic dermatitis, there's immune dysregulation as well as there's a biome com component to it, mm -hmm. right? So one of the things they talked about was um, the genetic genetic predisposition. In one, they talked about primarily the inheriting of the mutation of the flurge, the flurigen gene. Filagrin. Filagrin. Yeah. There we go. Sorry. That's, I know I have <laughs> a, that, I have yes. trouble with that one too. Yes. So what they found I probably, is... I probably still mispronounce it, actually. It's probably filigrine or something like that. I but think yeah. it actually is. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Whatever it's called, we know what you're talking yeah. about. All right. So what they talked about is it's present in 50% of European Americans, and it's also present in 27% of Asian Americans. However, it's very different in continental Africans and African Americans in that they found that the, the correlation with talking about this particular mutation mm -hmm. with having atopic dermatitis was less clear when you started talking about black people in general, right? Meaning they could have it or not. It, d it didn't have a as strong a correlation. Yes. Interesting. So they didn't find the mutation as much in continental Africans, more particularly Ethiopians. They found that in Ethiopians, even when they did have the mutation, it was not attached to atopic dermatitis. In some cases it was, but in uh, most cases it wasn't. And then they found in African Americans that it was, it was that they had the mutation, but it wasn't attached to atopic dermatitis as much. Even though they had the mutation, a small, smaller population of African Americans did have that mutation, but they thought it was because of, gene of genetic admixture as opposed to a, a, a thing that occurred over time. Meaning they got it from intermarrying with other ethnicities versus bringing it from their genetic heritage from Africa. Yes, okay. but even then, whenever they did have the mutation, it was not attached with atopic dermatitis. And even then, more particularly, you had that the, the, the prevalence of this mutation was six times less likely in African-Americans than Caucasians, making mm -hmm. the case for this is not, this mutation is not as prevalent in African-Americans. And when it is, it's not attached to atopic dermatitis. So there's, no, there's not as much correlation. How about in the Caucasians when they have the mutation, it's more correlated to? Yes. Okay. Yes. So we know that uh, atopic dermatitis has several factors. And so it sounds to me like kind of where this is going is that in the African genetic, uh, what do you want to say, African descent community mm -hmm. or subpopulation, uh, there's not a strong a tie. So there's something else that's contributing to uh, Caucasian or it sounds like Asians as well, possibly, mm -hmm. uh, that is contributing to uh, more association, so more dependency on that particular mutation in order to get the disease where in the uh, 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 African uh, community or the African uh, ancestry community, I'm not sure how to describe it where it's both, uh, actually it's interesting because when I was, um, when I was uh, working with uh, a company, Beringel Engelheim, they actually were debating this, not to say African-American, to say black, because they said not everybody that's African descent is from America right, <laughs> or lives in right. America. So it's like... Uh, we overuse the term. We well, it's because here they are African-American, yeah. and but we don't. We have to remember that things are happening throughout the world, not just in America. Right. And so, um, but regardless, that, that was just a really big rabbit trail. Um, but that being said, what is it that is contributing uh, to the African descent, uh, people who do have atopic. Did you have any insight there from your research? Yes, immune dysregulation. Okay. Right, 
So they found very particularly, right? They started talking about MHC1 and MHC2, which I'll let you explain first, and then I'll talk about it. Well, those are the genes that are associated with what the body sees as foreign versus what they see as innate or what should be there. And so uh, this is kind of one of the things we look at with stem cells and stem cell therapy because they don't tend to express those proteins as much so you can actually use other people's stem cells better than you could use like adult cells which express this and is seen as foreign. Mm -hmm. Now that I may have gotten a little wrong, but I'm going to stick to it until um, post-production when, when I cut it out if it's wrong. There you go. <laughs> but that's, what's, that's my understanding of the, those complexes. Yes, so they talked about how in atopic dermatitis, generally speaking, there is a dysregulation or an upregulation more specifically of CD4 plus signaling, mm -hmm. right? That then is attached to lowering FLG uh, expression, which is filaragine. Never going to be able to pronounce that. Well, neither can I. Filagrin. We'll call it filagrin for now. <laughs> hey, Jose, look up how to pronounce filagrin. <laughs> All right, so... All that being said, so that was a lot of scientific jargon. So let's, and I'm usually the one saying all that. Yes. So I'm glad that I'm now going to be the, the one that's going to boil it down a well, little bit. And boil it way down okay. for those who are <laughs> joining the conversation that are of, are not scientists. Well, we're um, all, what we're is the average consumer? Scientists. Let's talk about what is atopic dermatitis first. Sure. Give us a general definition well, I of think how that's that presents. Where, yeah, we need, to, we need to define that because based on the, the research, they're, try, they're kind of saying there's a lot of different subtypes of atopic dermatitis, some of which I think will be considered maybe a pseudo atopic dermatitis. Mm -hmm. And so that's, I think, in part of the publications that you had given me to look at. And so I agree with that because she's correct that atopic dermatitis has a lot of things you can look at. There's some things that have to, most of it has to do with barrier, your skin barrier, right? And so the idea is that we have our normal microbiome, our ecosystem on our skin. And the skin barrier, we talked about in the last episode how, uh, and I'm using this because it was a, an analogy I came up with in one of the chapters of the book, which is if you think about like the gut microbiome or biome and the skin biome, you can think of it like your house, the walls on the inside, because you really, uh, the inside of our guts is still not inside of our bodies. And I know that that's a weird concept. But Say that one more time. The inside of our guts is not actually inside of our bodies. Okay. Now think of it this way. We're basically a big tube. We're a big straw. And so ba basically yeah. things come in and come out. Okay. And so I'm not going to take it any further from that way because I don't want to disgust anybody. But when you look at even embryologically speaking, we, we develop initially as a ball of cells. And then we have an invagination. So basically one side of the ball sinks in. And that is still what was originally the outside. And so basically our anuses develop first. And then our mouths come second. And we end up being a tube in those, and then eventually we become all the tissues of our body. But the fact is that the inside, the lining of our gut is very similarly structured to the skin in the sense that we have layers that are meant to keep the things that we don't want out and pull in the things that we want in type, you know, that exchange. There's specific glands. For instance, we have mucus glands in our insides. And I, sh uh, just, I just... I shouldn't call our insides, but it is, we, in, our, in our digestive tract. Uh, and we have oil glands on our skin, you know, that help lubricate things. You know, we have, both of them have a huge immune presence. The skin being probably the biggest immune organ of the body, and the gut being probably the second, because it's basically protecting from the environment. So l let me make sure I heard that correctly, because what you're saying is that the skin and the gut 
from an anatomical and physiological standpoint are very similar. But we know, based on work that we've done together, the microbes in those areas are very different. The microbes are very different, but not because of the structure of the skin, but because of the environment. Because the environment Environment inside is is very different than the outside. So anatomically and physiologically very similar in terms of the structures that are there. Is that what you were saying previously? Yes. Now, that being said, there's the no doubt very There's no doubt that there are very different functions of the skin versus the gut. Right. The skin is not made to absorb things. The skin is made to keep things out. The gut is uh, also made to keep things out, but it is made to absorb things, but certain things. Um, but there, are, you know, I'll let people read the book later on when it's published, but there, is very simil- there are a lot of similarities. But just like in your house, the inside walls are for a different purpose than the outside walls. You know, the bricks of your house are very different than the sheetrock or the drywall that's on mm-hmm. the inside, but they're both kind of these structural barriers, and they're meant for different things, but they have different properties, and they're different environments. Your air conditioned inside, where it could be, you know, sweltering heat on the outside, or vice versa, you know, <laughs> depending on where you live. Uh, and so that being said, atopic dermatitis is really meant to be, uh, is really not meant, is really caused in essence by a breach of that structural component that is the barrier. It's meant to keep things out. And so we have those different layers of skin, the outermost being the stratum corneum, which is why I don't think you should scrub like with the pumice stones because uh, that, that stratum corneum is actually very delicate, but it's very important, not just in hosting microbes, but also in UV protection such, which in African and skin of color, you don't have to worry as much, but you still have to worry because you have a lot of melanin to also protect, but um, we don't. <laughs> and so we, but the thing is that stratum corneum is your number one kind of defense uh, against U- UV radiation. Uh, also contains a lot of your microbiome. But the, the fact is, uh, certain genes like the phylagrin gene, which, Jose, did you look it up how to say it? Yes. Phylagrin. Okay, phylagrin. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say phylagrin because I'm not going to remember. <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, phylagrin basically is one of the genes that's associated with getting that barrier nice and tight to keep things in. Interestingly, C. acnes... Uh, which is one of my passions. Uh, we've talked about it many times. Uh, it was my uh, one whole chapter of the books dedicated to it uh, and a couple episodes of Beauty and the Bacteria. Uh, but C. acnes actually upregulates something called IGF-1, which is a gene that actually is associated with barrier. And s- frankly, retinoids do the same thing, yet we don't call retinoids acne-producing. Anyway, I digress. Um, so uh, IGF-1, phylagrin, all that stuff com- uh, is combined to get that barrier of the skin, okay. you know, make sure that uh, we, we seal in the moisture um, and kind of... Protect from anything getting inside of the skin that we wouldn't want. Right, but I think it's there. more so to keep the moisture in than anything else okay. because the immune system is more there to keep... Because bacteria can get in. If they okay. want to get in and they can get in, they're going to get in. They're very small, they're very nimble. And the fact is, though, whether they can find it hospitable. Now, remember that things like the oils in our stratum corneum, uh, the barrier, are actually have antioxidants, antimicrobials, and stuff like that. And then there's microbes that live there. That, and so the, when we have a balanced biome, there's basically safeguards put in place. There's certain antimicrobial peptides that are there. There are certain uh, immune cells that are present. Um, that those immune cells are not primed for inflammation necessarily. They're just kind of like on the lookout. Um, and so the CD4 positive cells that she said, she was talking about CD4 plus cells, those cells are basically the ones that can go one of two directions. So they can either be just kind of like quiescent, like watchdog type cells, or they can be ones that are like full alert, cause inflammation, we need help because we got an infection type of cells. 
And so the lineage is based on the situation. And so, yes, there's genetic predisposition to inflammation. There's genetic predisposition to not having as much of the filagrin or filagrin or whatever it is. We'll get it right one of these days. But, um, you know, there's pre genetic predisposition, but it doesn't mean you're going to have the disease because the ecology of your, your ecosystem mm-hmm. matters mm-hmm. the most because really the disease is caused by certain strains moving into that barrier and basically taking it up and, and absconding it. So it's almost like um, dry rot in your walls. So it's that once that happens, it's kind of like the wall is gone. It's been eaten by fungus. The fungus has now basically taken it over in a way. And so um, that's kind of what a topic is kind of in the skin where um, we have all over our skin what's called biofilms. Biofilms are basically the way in which bacteria and fungus make their houses. They make little gels that they kind of spread out and then they basically fill those gels with um the 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 things that protect them like antioxidants which also protect us um they fill them with things like antimicrobial peptides that keep the other people out of their houses so it's like like an alarm system or something not alarm system but like a defense system to say you stay out of my house and the problem is when we have atopic we don't have the ecology to inhibit things like staph aureus or MRSA or whatnot from basically making big complexes. And so they basically take the barrier away and change it and cause biofilms and make their house there instead. And because the body sees that as an invasion, causes the CD4 positive cells to activate and start becoming inflammatory and, and, and getting angry skin. Now we've, we've talked about before, I think, but interestingly, there's less diversity in the plaques where there are the atopic dermatitis, and there's less the acnes, interestingly. And um, so Staph aureus is actually strongly associated with uh, atopic dermatitis. However, again, it doesn't mean you're gonna get it because a lot of people have Staph aureus is just kept in check by the rest of the microbes and the system being imbalanced. Um, and so also in the same person, you can have one swab of their skin that is in a place where you don't have eczema or atopic, and it won't be pathogenic. And you can swab the places where it is atopic lesions, and it will be pathogenic and inflammatory. So again, very strain-specific with the bacteria and the microbes. Um, genetics do play a role. But like you said, it doesn't always mean you're going to have it. You're just predisposed, possibly. But interestingly, you're saying that with the uh, uh, African descent, there's not a correlation with the gene predisposition. So we know that you said it was the inflammation that causes it. So what causes the inflammation then? Is it the biome, the dysbiosis? Is it food? Is it, what is it that causes that inflammation? Is there a correlation with anything like that? Yeah, so they talked about specifically, right, the CD4 that's upregulated. It really says it has particular interleukins, which are just things that are, are produced. Um, Cell after. signals. Yeah. Um, so those interleukins then cause inflammation, which then put someone at, at a predisposition of having a um, having a right but you're, you're we got to get to the root cause though because basically the, the cell signals are because they've already been you know coaxed or turned on to produce those cell signals so what causes that to happen um, so is it that they have a genetic predisposition for inflammation in general uh, meaning are there are their immune cells just angry already or what is it that causes 
the switch to go on where those cells become inflammatory and start sending out those cell signals. That's really where we, I want to get to with this particular subpopulation. I think that's an interesting question in general, but it seems as though I'm not sure what causes these cells to become inflammatory in general, which then cause the, down, the downstream effect. But in general, it seems to be it then produces particular interleukins, which are then responsible for right. the inflammation. Right. We, we, it's pretty well established which interleukins, I think it's IL-22 and IL-17A or B, I can't remember which one, but th there's specific interleukins or sp cell signals, molecules, mm -hmm. that are associated with inflammation in general, but specifically with atopic. And I let's. This is actually a great question for Dr. Day. So let's see if we can get her on the line um, uh, to talk about this again. Mm -hmm. But while we're getting her on the line, um, I will say that I do believe that probably a lot of what is switching that on possibly is change of environment of the mm -hmm. whole, what we call the holobiont, the whole micro, the whole organism. Mm -hmm. So we're a holobiont. Mm -hmm. We have our, our, our biomes, uh, the different biomes. We have the microbiome. We have our human cells, the environment that we produce, uh, you know, uh, inherently. And so um, I believe, because there's a lot of research that shows that people that live in rural areas mm -hmm. have way less atopic dermatitis and allergies and asthma than people that live in cities. And so we think that it has to do with the fact that, just like you're saying with the body saying something is foreign, mm -hmm. if we're in a place where we're in nature where uh, there's no reason why our biome can't be kind of uh, in balance uh, uh, versus when we're in a city where we have pollution which, and we have um, a lot of UV radiation that bounces off of all the, the surfaces, mm -hmm. um, you know, we have stressors, right? stressors. Right. And so there's a lot of things, there's stress of just being in the city, right? Uh, you know, not getting hit by a car. You know, yeah. I guess in the wild, not being eaten by uh, a lion or something. <laughs> but mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's one of those things where they we know that there's association, even with animals. There's a strong association with animals that live in um, cities versus like on farms. You don't see uh, animals get atopic on farms, mm. but you see it all the time in animals in the city. Mm. And so that I think is an interesting thing about subpopulations, about we know that there's an urban, now we do know there's socioeconomic uh, um, implications as well, and we talked about with the acne, they think it's the dirty thing that people associate, even though that's not true. Mm -hmm. um, likewise, with atopic, it's actually the opposite. It's the people that are uh, higher socioeconomic status that tend to get more atopic dermatitis, probably because they over-sanitize. You know, they live in they live in over cl overly clean environments um, and, and things of that nature. All right. So do we have Doris on the line? All right. Welcome back to the podcast, Doris, our BFF. How are you? So good. It's always good to be back. I love being a BFF. <laughs> well, you know, uh, you, you, you set us straight so much in the last one when we were talking about the different uh, subsets of our population and how, it how we would uh, equate acne to those subsets and how we would treat those subsets. So we thought we'd do the same with atopic dermatitis because they're related in the sense that they're inflammatory skin diseases, and they're also related in the sense that a lot of people blame bacteria. Um, but the fact is they're very different diseases. And the, and the fact is also that it's not necessarily simply I got a certain bacteria like a staph on my skin and therefore I have a topic. <laughs> so we know uh, based on what we just discussed that people in cities tend to have more for several reasons. Uh, prevalence to a topic, people that are of higher socioeconomic status tend to have more prevalence. Do you observe this phenomenon uh, in your own practice? You're in New York City. You're in the heart of, and you're also on Park Avenue. So there's a lot of people that are relatively affluent 
um, you're not really near much rural activity, but you have been to places where there are. And so tell me, what, do, what have you observed? What do you think on that? Well, I'm lucky my, my office is on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, and I, I see a broad population, but I also uh, go to Bellevue once a week on Tuesdays, where I work with also a different but broad population, and, and we see a lot of atopic dermatitis in both populations. What the thing about atopic is, is that we know that it's immune mediated, and we know that there are genetic pathways that can predispose somebody to having it. The difference is, is that as your immune system is developing when you're young, it does benefit from exposure to things to learn to attack and if it or, or to help strengthen its protection of you. And if it doesn't have exposure to other things externally to, to warg you against and to protect you against, it starts to turn on itself. And that's where our autoimmune conditions can come up more. So we know that people who grow up with dogs tend to have less eczema, less atopic dermatitis. Uh, children who grow up in environments where they're more exposed to the elements and maybe even a little bit of dirt tend to do a little bit better that way. They have stronger immune systems. So we do want some exposure. We don't want to purposely go out and expose kids to things that are going to kill them or be harmful, of course. But gentle exposures to the environment and allowing the immune system to evolve and develop does have added protection in many ways and against autoimmune conditions as well. So I do see it in a broad range of populations. A lot of different cultures have different ideas of how to keep children clean and how to feed them. And I think all of that plays into it. So it it's definitely more in people who have a more sterile environment that they're raised in, but it happens broadly as well. Right. And so, you know, you and I just finished writing um, the draft of our manuscript for the book that we're about to release, hopefully quite soon. And yeah. one of the things that we are strongly kind of uh, discussing in the book is what we call the holobiont philosophy, which is you have to realize that we are an ecosystem. We're not just a human walking around. We're a whole ecosystem. And when you change that ecosystem, uh, even early in life, because we're an ecosystem even before we, we come out, right? We're, we're even in, uh, we're an ecosystem even before we're, we're in the world that's filled with microbes. There's microbes on the inside as well as the outside of our bodies. Uh, we know that uh, we have to keep that in consideration. We know in, in medicine we don't as much as we should, right? We don't think of it that way as much as we should yet. We what don't do think, we barely think of it. And the reality is we're more not us than we are us. Even our DNA, our, 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 all of our, our DNA is invaded by other organisms that have inserted themselves into our DNA. So there's very little of us. We're covered in microbes. We're uh, both externally and internally. And basically what I've learned, a lot of it from you, is that that's actually a good thing in most cases that those microbes can help us function better. Some of those microbes we're learning, like with C. acnes that we've talked about, and even maybe malassezia. Mm -hmm. These can do some good for us, depending on which strain we have. And when we try to mess with our ecosystem too much, we actually mess it up. That's right. And in some ways, wreak more havoc. And we see that sometimes as atopic dermatitis. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's where, just like with acne, people think that it means dirty. They think that any skin disease means we're dirty or we have something that we shouldn't. They don't realize that our body and the ecosystem around our holobiont, our whole selves, 
it's very intricate. It's very interconnected. And my feeling is that hopefully in 10 years' time, we're going to do a lot more testing before we just throw things at people thinking all disease states are caused by the exact same thing. We know that different uh, populations, it could be the, gene- the, the lack of the, or the mutation in the flagrin gene. It can be that that has nothing to do with it. It could be that they have a staph uh, infection that is co- uh, contributing. It could have that that has nothing to do with it. So it's one of those things where we may cause it, uh, we may divide these diseases into subtypes or something, I don't know. But at this point, I think in the future, we're going to do genetic testing on humans, we're going to do genetic testing on the microbiome, maybe even the mycobiome, the virobiome, so we can holistically know our ecosystem. I love it. Yeah, what's the health of the ecosystem? Because that's the way I think that we're going to know uh, what our true remedies are. And it could be something as simple as putting something back that we took out or that we never had in the first place because we thought we were doing good by being clean and we just didn't know. And as you and I, I, I learned from you, but I found out that it's a quote from Maya Angelou is that when we know better, we do better. Uh, so, oh, I love that. Yeah. There's one thing I was just thinking about as you were talking about how some things that seem counterintuitive are actually the right thing. Right. Like when we talk about how winter comes, we talk about a blanket of snow. And snow is cold. You don't think of it as a blanket, but that blanket of snow is protective of the trees and the 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 grass and things that it covers. So in some ways, we are kind of covered in a blanket of these microbes. And in many ways, depending on the balance of what that microbe is, mm-hmm. it's actually protecting us and serving us well, even though it may not seem intuitive. That's I awesome. just came up with that. I'm very proud of myself. <laughs> If you don't like it, it's okay, just lie. Yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, so we'll, we'll have our fact checkers fact check that. No, I'm just, um, so, so, so Doris, as always, uh, wonderful wisdom. Uh, we will uh, hopefully see you on the next episode. I believe so, because uh, we're about to tape it. All right, so, all right, so thanks, Doris, uh, very much for that. All right. That was a lot of information, but great information, uh, as always, from Dr. Day. Um, so I want to, we have a few minutes left. I think we probably have about, let's see, uh, I'd say two. two or three minutes left. And so Ndashe, tell me, or Ndashe, uh, tell me exactly what you, after all this information we've discussed, what's left over to discuss on this topic about subpopulations and what causes a topic or how they feel about it or whatnot. There's two factors. One, in Asian Americans, there are specific interleukins that are found to be um, upregulated versus others. So for them, it tends to be interleukin 4 and 14 versus everybody else was found to have... Everybody else? Uh, not everybody else. Rather, okay. Caucasians were found okay. to have an upregulation of interleukin 13 and 4. So what there's, about African American or African descent? Um, they didn't create a distinction between African Americans, but they fa- did create a distinction between Caucasians and Asian Americans. Now, is Asian Americans or Asians in general? Asian Americans. So, do we know if it's the same for Asians in general, or is just this particular study just looked at American? They just looked at American. Okay. That's interesting, and so one wonders what that is. Now, I'm sh- I'm wa- now that's not across the board, right? That's just a tendency. Yeah, that's just a tendency. Okay, mm. so hmm, I'm not sure how to. Uh, I'm not sure how to, to, to react to that other than that's an interesting distinction. Do we see a distinction in the, um, the way in which the disease manifests based on that research? Like, um, is it the same type of atopic? It's the same type of atopic. It presents phenotypically quite similarly, except with ethnic divisions, depending on the amount of pigment that one has. But it's 
a similar type of atopic. The phenotype tends to be similar, but yet there are these distinctions in, in the hmm. type of interleukins that are found in lesions. That's interesting, and that makes me wonder, and I, now I'm going to have to go look into this uh, because I wasn't aware of that, and it's very interesting. I wonder in general whether the different ethnic kind of background, uh, the genetic differences that, that, that are actually quite small if you really think about it, but the ones that we have, whether they in general cause us to react to inflammatory stimuli differently, like small, because the, 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 the reality is if we have the same disease state, um, yet have different interleukins, we have to ask ourselves whether the medicines we're using are going to help all people that have this or whether we really need to look at not just the microbiome, but also the genetic differences that how we react to those medicines. Now, interestingly, and we won't get into it too much, but we can actually metabolize medicines differently based on the biome, right? The, the, not just the environment, but also the microbes there and all that stuff. So there's all sorts of considerations here. So now we, it, it makes it to where when you think about medicine and you say there's a certain amount of people that just don't uh, react well to certain medications or procedures and certain people that really react well to them or, or are helped by them. In terms of efficacy and adverse events. That's right. right? That's okay. right. And so really in the future, kind of my vision mm -hmm. is that we're going to be looking not just at human genetics. They're going to be taking swabs of our genes to look at what our predispositions are, just like 23andMe does. But we're also going to be taking a look at the biomes once we learn how to properly sample, which we're not quite there yet. But when we learn how to sample, we're going to be taking samples and looking at the microbiome, the mycobiome, the virobiome, the human genetics. Then we'll make decisions on how to treat. Wow. This whole one-size-fits-all kind of medicine, we're going to look back at what we're doing today and think the way that we think about people that use medicinal leeches to bleed people right. back in the day. Well, it's archaic. It's still used today, right? We, right. Use, we use leeches for like microsurgery because it keeps the, the anticoagulant, keeps the blood flow. But the thing is, it's used very specifically, very niche, um, and it's uh, only for very small, very few purposes. Uh, so I think we're going to look back at medicine that we use the way that we do medicine today. It's going to be the same thing. It's going to be very niche, used for specific purposes, and we're going to take things. I believe it's going to be more holistic in nature. I think it's going to be more diet changes or environmental changes and uh, psychological even maybe changes, but not as much uh, molecules that we put into the body. Agreed. I truly believe it. There's a lot of literature on that. We've mm -hmm. talked about in, in previous podcasts about the, there's other factors beyond, you know, if we do those things like you mentioned, if we know that information and we do things differently, that we can eradicate most disease I based on so. that. I believe just on so. what we put into our body, how we move our bodies, and where we are psychologically. Yeah, I believe that wholeheartedly. And I do think uh, the discussion we were having about um, how we immigrate from one ecosystem to another and there's differences in the way our body manifests certain things. Mm -hmm. I think as the world kind of gets smaller in the sense that we travel so much now and immigration is not as big a deal as it used to be, as the world becomes more equalized as far as socioeconomic status, hopefully, even though it seems like the United States seems to go in the opposite direction with, with uh, you know, the money situation. But regardless, you know, if, if Star Trek is a reality, <laughs> I don't know if any of you watched Star Trek when I was a kid. I used to watch yeah. The Next Generation a lot. And in the future, apparently, er there is no money you know, you just go to the wall to get your food and it makes it for you and stuff. Okay. You know? So it's like uh, there's hollow decks to go on vacations and stuff. And so, it, you know, it seems pretty, uh, if, if we get to a place where the world itself, be, you know, goes into homeostasis, right? Because really, um, I think a lot of our habits 
uh, are because we cause uh, or what causes mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. of the disease we have. Similar to the world in general, how a lot of the disruption in the world is because we cause it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are volcanoes and there's typhoons and there's right. hurricanes and there's all that stuff. And, and in, in our bodies, there's the same thing, right? There's sometimes where our bodies do have legitimate diseases that are genetic. You know, the, you can't fix everything with a better diet, right? There are diseases where you where you die as an infant because you have a genetic disease for your nervous system or right. your immune system or whatnot. So I can, I'm not saying that you can fix everything. I'm not one of those scientists that believe everything can be fixed when you take sugar out of your diet or, you know, you, 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 you meditate an hour a day or anything. But what I would say is there's, there are a lot of things that I do believe are caused by industrialization of the world. And I, I think, yes, we've taken two steps forward as a human race to extend our lives mm. to make our lives better quality of lives are much better than they used to be yes. but then i think we've also taken a step back we've crossed a line to where we've taken two steps forward a step back i think we're about on the cusp of taking another two steps forward mm. and it's exciting to see with uh we, we have something very exciting at crown we're about to uh, uh release into the wild uh this next week at asds i'm not gonna talk about today but next uh probably in a few podcasts you're gonna be hearing some very interesting conversation about uh, a new paradigm shift, we believe, in the way that we care for uh, dermatological issues. Um, And uh, I'll leave it at that. So well, don't just else leave you, it at that, yeah, Thomas, it, because you challenged me, <laughs> and she's and I've been diligently you've working, been really working at it. And I, you? you know, I just want to say that you know <laughs> you just do a few I'm just things. Not gonna, why don't we zoom this, in on her anxiety? Voila. <laughs> I yeah. does it not look how it looked in the beginning? It doesn't. If you squint uh, <laughs> and you hold it a certain way. Um, but anyway, uh, we'll, we'll let her have a pass on that because she really did not work on it this whole time. Wow. But uh, anything else you want to wrap it up? Uh, Ndashe, anything you want to wrap up? Your social media. What are your social media oh, yeah. pages? Well, Where can we okay. find you, Thomas? Okay, well, that's Besides all. Besides the mm-hmm. office down the hall for me. If that's all, okay. I have a note here that at the end I'm supposed to say, uh, look us up on Instagram at, a, at Crown Laboratories, or if you want to see me specifically, at Hitchcock. Our website is crownlaboratories.com. We would like you to subscribe to the podcast because we are getting better and better, and you definitely don't want to miss the puzzles that I bring every episode because they're amazing. Uh, please rate and review and share with your peers. Uh, we would greatly appreciate it. Thank you for your eyes and your ears. Uh, we hope you glean something from this conversation, and we will see you next time. Goodbye for now. Goodbye.